Welcome to the River Mountain Church Preaching Library. It is our prayer and indeed our hope that this message might inspire your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. And last week we looked at signs and wonders in the gospel. And I mentioned how important signs and wonders were to the Apostle Paul and how important they were to preaching the gospel. Uh, We find out there that he remained a long time performing these signs and wonders. And remember, he was in Iconium. And he found out that they were going to stone him. You all know that stoning is not a good thing to go through, right? So as soon as he found out that was the plan, he, he immediately asked God if he can be released from there. And he was released from there. And he fled, as it says here last thing, he fled to a place called Lystra. Now, if you're looking at a map here and you want to see where we've been, uh, they were in Iconium right here. And Lystra is not that far away. It's only about oh, I don't know, 20 miles. It would be like walking from here to Ringtown. Anybody walking from here to Ringtown? So it's relative because the last trip was about 120 miles. So if we, uh, if we look at this here, let me see if I can get the little animation going here. Is it going to work? There it goes, right there, okay. Was that a fancy I made a little arrow? This is what I do in my spare time. I make little arrows move. So anyway, they go from Iconium to Lystra. And what do we know about this place called Lystra? or Lystra, two different pronunciations, 20 miles away, very Gentile. Uh, You're going to find there's there's not many uh, Jewish people there. There's a temple to the goddess Zeus, which we'll find out more about. And uh, so Paul's not going to go to a synagogue. And and I have a feeling Paul's probably thinking to himself, I'm kind of glad I'm not going to a synagogue because my primary calling at this point is to the Gentiles. And there's no Jews, not a lot of them, to stir things up against me. And that's what's been happening almost in every place he goes. But what's really curious about this little Gentile population, out of it will come Timothy. Isn't that amazing? In little tiny locations. We find out in Acts later that um, when Paul came to Lystra, there was a disciple there by the name of Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman. and, And this Jewish woman was a believer, must have got saved through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And his father was a Greek. So we're going to talk today about miracles that Paul performs, the glory of the Lord, and persecution, because these things kind of go together. So here's, here's where we pick up our story. This is Acts 14, 8. It says, now at Lystra there was a man uh, sitting uh, who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he never walked. So everybody in the town knows that there is a crippled person. It's the same person that's always been there and has never been able to walk. And as a matter of fact, this condition has been from their birth. So there's no doubt about the fact that this person has this this infliction upon him. And so what we're going to see is the power of God being displayed, a miracle happening on this particular affliction. What happens is uh, this crippled man is listening to Paul speaking. And as Paul notices the man looking at him, it says, Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. That's key. Paul somehow supernaturally, matter of fact, some of the commentators said the Holy Spirit gave Paul the ability uh, somehow to see what was happening in the invisible and spiritual realm. We call this sometimes a word of knowledge. If you read the book of Acts, there's a gift called the word of knowledge. And it's something where God gives you knowledge of something that you know nothing about. You can never know anything about unless something was whispered in your ear from heaven. So there's knowledge. Paul 
looks at them and supernaturally knows he can be made well. This is key. So the Apostle Paul now says, detecting that the man can be made well, he says in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. We would determine this uh, as, as a methodology that was kind of unique because um, every time we see various healings in the Bible, there's always different ways of doing it. Sometimes there's uh, a word spoken. Other times there's hands being laid on. Sometimes there, there's uh, a hand being given. Sometimes there's, there's something on the eye. Uh, it can be all different types. So we're never, never sure how God wants to do this. But in this case, it was just words. Stand upright to your feet. And then we understand that he sprang up. He didn't, he didn't like stumble up. He sprang up and began immediately walking. This is what we would refer to as a word of, word of wisdom. A word of wisdom is, okay, I see that he can be made well. Now I'm going to make him well. And this is how we're going to do it. This is the action that it's going to take. It is going to be a word that, that simply says, stand upright. The word of wisdom. That's how God's going to heal you. And of course, he was healed immediately. Now it gets really interesting. I mean, this is powerful, right? I mean, we have our dear sister over here sitting in that wheelchair. And if we can imagine in God's sovereignty a word coming to her and she all of a sudden rises as well, right? We would all leave here stunned and shocked. We would all leave here praising God. Who knows what kind of revivals would break out over one miracle? And we pray for situations like that and ask God, what is his purpose and will? But in this particular case, the purpose and will of God was to heal this person who was crippled from his birth. And now we're going to see a very human response to a miracle because what happens next is when the crowd saw what Paul had done, key, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in uh, Lyconium, or some sort of language that they spoke there in that particular area, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, and, and, and they were saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Now remember, they're all Gentiles. They've been all raised in Roman mythology. And so now they are willing to call Paul and Barnabas gods. It's interesting they, they, they don't call Paul a Zeus because Zeus is the king of the gods. So there was something about Barnabas, although he wasn't the speaker at this time and he wasn't pr predominantly the one preaching, uh, there was something about him that he seemed like a leader. He seemed like, like the one that maybe was behind the power. Zeus was a giver of life. He was also an alpha god. He was the head of all the other gods that they had in the pantheon. He was kind of like the father of God. So many times when he's drawn, he's drawn with gray hair and a beard. He is kind of like the, 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 the majestic father of the gods. And so that's Barnabas. Older and more mature. Paul, they refer to as Hermes, which tells us a little bit about Paul. He is the messenger from God. He is like a prophet from heaven. He is the giver of knowledge. And so we see Paul as he's speaking. He's got knowledge and he has insight and revelation. And he's also able to give prosperity, which was part of Hermes' uh, particular gifting. And they are, they, here, so here's what's happening here. They are going to lift Paul and Barnabas. I mean, we would say they're, they're lifting them up like rock stars. But it's more than that, isn't it? They're like gods. They're like the gods came down from heaven. 
a very natural response in our humanity is to lift up people who accomplish great things. And so we're told that immediately the priest of Zeus, remember they had a temple of Zeus at the entrance of the city, they begin to bring in the oxen and garland to the gates and they want to offer up a sacrifice with the crowd. They are going to coronate with garland these two gods come down to earth and they're going to have sacrifices and it's going to be one of the biggest parties this town has ever seen matter of fact it's going to be one of the greatest events this town has ever experienced because the gods have come down to visit us hermes the speaker the one speaking words of authority and zeus the mature one behind they are in our midst and we will not miss this opportunity to make them feel welcome. And perhaps what they had in mind was this story in uh, Roman folklore that, uh, that every uh, Roman person knew. And that, that is the, the interesting story. Uh, uh, and every probably child was told this story. At one point in history, both Zeus and Hermes came down to earth. And they went knocking on the doors of every person in a particular town. And they just knocked on the door and said, hey, can you, can, you, can you put us up for the night? Can you give us some food? And every single door they went to, nobody answered, nobody cared. These two gods roamed for, I don't know, days. And eventually, one, only one couple invited them in, put out a feast, let them stay the night, gave them hospitality. And when they went back into the heavens, as the gods do, they destroyed everyone except for those two people. And every Roman person knew the story of the day that Zeus and Hermes went to earth and nobody was friendly to them and they went back and they destroyed everything and as a matter of fact uh, in front of their temple the temple of Zeus right there at that town there would have been two trees on either side and they believed that those two trees represented those two people a husband and wife Philemon and uh, uh, Bacchus I think her name was and 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 when they died they became trees (laughs) And those trees were planted outside the temple. So everybody looked at the two trees and said, ah, there are those two people that are nice to the gods. And so these people are not going to make the same mistake. If this is another visitation from Zeus and another visitation from Hermes, they're not going to make the mistake of not being hospitable. They're going to do everything in their power to make them feel welcome. Ah, yeah. They are going to treat them as if they are gods and they will fall down and say those words we're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And then they're expecting Hermes and Zeus to put out their hands and say, you got it right. The gods are among us. And guess what? You're going to learn a valuable lesson of what we Christians need to do and how we need to respond to miracles. Because we too are very human. We too love that man of power and authority who comes to town, who has the power, and we all come out to visit. Back in the early 40s, 50s, when a revivalist would come to town, everybody would come out to see the man of God demonstrate the power of God. And today we still live in this uh, cult of of celebrity and the cult of personality. And we have our superstar preachers the same way we have our superstar athletes and our superstar whatevers. And this is a problem in the church, the celebrity culture that is in our culture. And by the way, the word cult is in culture. Culture and cult go together. The culture is a cult. And if we let that culture into the church, guess what? We become like a cult. 
because we'll exalt man instead of God. Do you understand? I'm glad in this church everybody knows how stupid I am. (laughs) I'm glad in this church everybody knows how forgetful I am. There's no mistake in me for anything more than what I am. But some people aren't as fortunate. And they walk on water. And the people love it. Because that's human nature. Celebrity. Our heroes of faith. I remember hearing one minister uh, who I really respect, but he was a celebrity. He's a celebrity minister. Everybody would know him if I mentioned his name. And they were talking about how all these ministers rise and fall and, you know, they get up to a certain point and then they crash. And, and the uh, interviewer was saying, well, maybe there's something wrong with us exalting men. Maybe we shouldn't exalt men up and praise them and give them all this glory and attention because that's not good for them. They get lifted up in pride and they fall. Maybe we shouldn't create that culture <laughs> with this celebrity minister said was very telling he said i would hate if that was to happen because i've worked really really hard to get to this place and he was the best of them i would hate if people stopped buying my books and stopped coming to my conferences and stopped looking at me as like an authority i would hate that that's a very telling statement But we love to do it. And why do we love to do it? Why do we love to enshrine people and put them in halls of fame? You know why we like to do it? Because we're very human. How many hall of fames do you think we have? Hollywood, tractors. uh, I I was thinking, what what would be the last thing on earth that we would exalt to the point of putting them in like, like this position of praise? And I thought, maybe the homeless. Maybe there's no, no hall of fame for homeless people. You know, I was wrong about that. Because I don't know, because I'm a weird man. I started Googling. <laughs> Home, uh, hall of fame for homeless people. And sure enough, in a little place called, uh, let me get the name of this, Hancock, Iowa. Every year they have what's called the Hobo Convention. Now the hobos have no problems getting there because there's a train track that runs right by the convention center. And by the way, does anyone know what the word hobo means? What? Hops on train. Right. And it goes all the way back to the Civil War and it's short for homeless boys. So when the, the Civil War guys came back from war, many of them were you know, just as shattered as, as other men of war have been, and they had no place to go, so they would just hop the rails and they became homeless. They were homeless boys. And so as I was looking, I said, okay, they got a convention, but surely, surely they don't have a Hall of Fame. And yes, they do. And yes, they do. And they got plaques of the homeless guys up on the wall, and I can imagine them sitting around going, oh, I tell you, Shoestring, Hobo Shoestring Joe was incredible, but he was nothing like the other Hobo Mike. Hobo Mike, I'll tell you what, he was, uh, the man would, would, would jump the rails and he'd go from town. He'd, he'd do like three trains in a night. Oh, he's quite the hobo, isn't he? And they sat around glorifying hobos because that's what we do. We're men who love to glorify other men. And by the way, uh, this hasn't escaped their attention. These are the national hobo king and queen of the prom. 
And matter, matter of fact, of all the Hall of Fames, this one might be the most biblical, actually, because these people probably should get some sort of recognition, the least of us. But still, what are we doing? This is the way humans respond to power, to achievements, to success, to brilliance of any kind. And I want to show you this picture. This is a beautiful painting of Paul uh, there at, 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 uh, at Lystra. And he's preaching. And this probably, the older guy is probably uh, Barnabas. Now look at this person right here. Just looking up at him like, he's my hero. <laughs> I've watched the faces of people when they see their heroes and they see their rock stars and they see their celebrities. And it's like, oh, you're the greatest. And as you can see over here, look at this guy. This guy's ready to worship. Here comes all the townspeople. They're going to come. And here's the priest. He's ready to offer sacrifice. This is our response to some form of, a, of an achievement. And so, <laughs> this is the godly response. When the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard it, when they heard they were going to be worshipped and put on pedestals, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, crying. And listen how they bring themselves down immediately. Men, why are you doing these things? Well, because they're men. We are men, and then he goes, of like nature with you. Now, they're Gentiles. They even step off the Jewish platform of being God's chosen. They step way off the platform of being apostles. They're saying, we're just like you. We're just humans. That's all we are. Once you begin to think you're something, you're nobody. Remember, and never forget, men love heroes, and they love to exalt other men. And if you're willing to wear the halo, well, you just might not be able to be what God wants you to be. I want to tell a little story because I prayed about this story. I don't like to tell a lot of stories, but I'll tell this one. Um, I was a young minister, probably in my, my early 30s. Uh, the Lord gave me a revelation from heaven. I knew it was from heaven because I never thought about it. He said, he said, what I want you always to do is to exalt Christ and then hide. Because there's a tendency after we exalt Christ and do what we're called to do that we want a little bit of a little bit of the fanfare that comes from that. And uh, this came five years a little, not, not too late. I think I was too proud, proud in my, my early days, maybe even to understand that. But the first sermon I ever preached to a large group of people, uh, I was just a, a, a new pastor at a, at a large church. And um, I was just going to be a, a co-pastor. I don't know, five, six hundred people. No, maybe not that many. Maybe, maybe 400 Maybe, I can't even remember how many people, but there, there was a lot more than, than, than here. Uh, and I gave a message, and after the message was over, I was like, Lord, what do I do now? And I felt the Lord say, well, invite them to come up. And so <sighs> they came up, and, and, uh, and then, then I was like, well, what do I do now? Because I, I thought maybe one or two might come up just to receive personal prayer. But a lot of people came up. Matter of fact, like 20 or 30, like the whole... whole uh, thing was was filled with people and so I said okay what do I do now and I said I know what to do now I've seen this on TV I've seen these I've seen ministers do this I've seen uh, I've been to crusades where they do this and so I went to the first person and I laid my hands on him 
put it on their forehead. And sure enough, what do you think happened? They fell. And I was like, ooh, that was pretty cool. And so I did it to the next person. They fell. And then the next person, they fell. And the next person, they fell. I was like, this is pretty good. And then, I, then it starts saying, are they just falling or is this really God? So the next one I came to, I, I was holding them up, had my arm behind them, and they fell. And I was like, okay. And so I eventually did the whole row and everybody fell. And so now I'm standing up there and they're all laying down. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I saw that on TV too. And uh, everybody's impressed. Everybody goes home. Everybody's talking about it. All oh, the spirit of God moved. And the reason why everybody w- was, was so excited, because I was the new pastor who came from a Bible school in which there were a lot of important uh, charismatic people. And they thought I was going to bring that thing to them. And they were all ready to receive the next young, great thing. And so... Uh, after it's over, you know, people are buzzing. They think, you know, this is an amazing thing. And so uh, I'm, I'm overhearing a conversation with somebody saying this to a, to a really mature Christian I, I respected. And they said, wasn't this the greatest service ever? And she says, no, he, he was this monkey see, monkey do. And I had heard this. And instead of getting offended, I started thinking, is that what I, oh, that is what I did. Monkey, I, that's what I did. I just did whatever I saw other ministers doing. And so I went to the Lord, and I said, Lord, was I supposed to do that? And I hear, no. <laughs> that's what was going on. And so I started doing a Bible study on uh, slaying in the Spirit. You know what? There's not one example of what Christians do with the slaying in the Spirit in the Bible. It's an unbiblical practice. Totally. You know, the only two times people got slain in the New Testament. One was the Apostle Paul when he got knocked off the horse. That was not a good experience. He never got slain again, as far as I know. And the other one was the guy in the garden who came to arrest Jesus. He fell over. Outside of that, nobody. So what the heck are we doing? (laughs) Monkey see, monkey do. And it feels good. And I remember going to a conference. Charismatic conferences are so immature. And these ministers were sitting around talking... I had a meeting and I had 50 people fall over in the power of God. And the guy says, oh, 50? I remember a meeting where uh, 100 people fell. And the guy said, uh, well, how'd you do a laid hands? Oh, I just walked up to the platform and they all fell. <laughs> well, goody, goody for you. What the heck is going on here? People love a hero. And people are willing to do anything for the hero, including fall down and do whatever. And guess what the hero likes? He likes the people doing it. And so we create a culture. If you look at the exact same thing that happened early, it was almost the exact same miracle with Peter. I I just want to read this to you. A lame man who was lame from birth, identical to this, was in the temple. Uh, Again, uh, John, uh, Peter and John look at the guy, uh, word of knowledge, and then... Uh, they, they, they uh, take him by the hand, different, they didn't speak, they took him by the hand and they raised him up and immediately his ankles were made strong and that's a word of wisdom. So again, you, you get the knowledge from heaven of what to do and then the Lord says, now do this and you'll correctly apply what I'm telling you to do. 
And so, again, same thing happened in Peter's case. All the people were utterly astonished, and they ran to them. Like, you're amazing. You're great. You're something. Woo! And uh, Peter immediately addresses the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why are you staring at us? Who are we? Here's what he says. As though by our power or our piety, we have made him walk. What the heck are you doing? You're looking at us. You're paying attention to us. We had no power, nor did we have any real holiness. We just did what God told us to do, and that's what happened. Apostle Paul says, Let no one boast in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or presence or the future. All are yours. I heard that they're having a revival there in Toronto. I'm going to get up there to Toronto and get me some of the blessing from Toronto. (laughs) Are you that immature? And Paul would say to you, everything they got in Toronto, you've got. You dope. But you want to go to, and by the way, no one's going to Toronto now anyway. No one's going anywhere uh, until the next revival. And then they'll all get there. (sighs) Y'all know there's only one mediator between God and man. And it's not Oral Roberts. And it's certainly not me or any other minister. You got access to heaven. One mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. Paul says, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he's deceived. Joel, know you're nothing. Paul knew he was nothing. And then when these people are like all enamored with his power, his sermon, look. Listen, we're, we're just bringing you good news. And here's the news, that you should turn from vain things and you should turn to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He's not left himself without a witness for, for he did good by giving rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and he satisfies your heart with food and gladness. Don't turn to your gods, Zeus and Hermes. Don't turn to us. Who do you turn to? As the, the Israelites always says, we shall turn to the hills, to Mount Sinai, to the temple, to God's throne. That's where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. You're one step away from an audience with the man who made the heavens and the earth. I'm still going to go to Toronto, though. Immaturity gone someplace to happen. Turn to the living God. My whole job on earth is to get you totally dependent on the God of heaven that every time you're in crises, you don't even pick up the phone to ask for prayer from the church. You go immediately into your throne room and you ask God for help. And then you go and you can ask your brothers and sisters to pray for you. But you've got to know where your help comes from comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth. That was Paul's argument. Zeus and Hermes never made the earth. And, and, and the Greeks even taught that all the gods were, came after the creation of the earth. 
<laughs> so even after he preaches the sermon, listen to what it says here. Even with these words, they, they, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. Are you not listening? Stop! It's not about us! Oh, but I like to sell some books and sell some tapes. I got some things to say. There was a time where the people came to want to make Jesus king. It says this in John. I'm closing here. Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again into the mountains himself alone. If the people make you king, well, number one, people can't make people kings. And uh, human nature being what it is, if they make you king, they can also make you, (laughs) as you're going to see here, they can also make you a martyr. So they couldn't restrain the people, scarcely be able to do it. And so here's God's solution. God's solution to to all this hero worship. The Jews, thank God for the Jews coming from from Antioch and uh, Iconium. And uh, they start persuading the crowd. And uh, I guess they were pretty persuasive for this fickle crowd that had these men as gods. The Bible says they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Well, wait a second. He was just a god (laughs) yesterday. From being a celebrity to being a martyr. I think God had mercy on Paul. And we're going to find out next week that everywhere Paul went, it was a similar thing. There was a manifestation of power, supernatural power, and then there was a manifestation of persecution. Paul would go on to say this, and I'm closing with these verses. We'll look look at this more extensively next week. So to keep me from being conceited because of the uh, surpassing greatness of revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. It was a messenger of Satan. And this thing was to harass me. And the word harass means to be punched in the gut. And everywhere Paul went, he saw the power of God manifested, but then he was punched in the gut by persecution. Thanks for listening to this message from River Mountain Church. If you'd like some more information, visit our website, rivermountainchurch.org.